It's the final hour of the Morning Blitz with Rick Corey. Brought to you by Chris Nickel Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. We want you to get involved right now on the Neuropathy Clinic of Oklahoma text line at 918-262-5072. Or on the phone line at 918-879-1170. Love to hear from you. 751 on the Blitz 1170. It's Friday. We got there. Bryce Hall from the next room. I am Rick Corey, now joined by Lance Walker. He's with us once a month from the OSU Human Performance and Nutrition Institute. And today's topic is one I am glad you brought up because we have heard about this, Lance, for years. And we've heard good and we've heard bad. First of all, welcome back, though. How you Thanks. doing? Thanks. Doing great. Doing great. We're talking resistance training for kids. And I, I said to Bryce, you know, because I'm older, but... When uh, you know when I was young and in high school, oh, don't touch weights. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 you'll bind you up. You won't be able to run. And even in the off season, it was ah, very little. Mm-hmm. You had to be very limited. When did that attitude start to change? You know, that's it's a great point. I had some of the same things coming through high school. Um, I was fortunate. I grew up on a farm and a ranch. And I so did too. <laughs> my strength and conditioning was was bucking bales mm-hmm. uh, in the wintertime and uh, feeding cattle and building fence in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So, oh God, that was one of the hardest jobs right? in history. I hated it, but boy, I was so thankful for it because mm-hmm. we really didn't have strength conditioning, and that would have been in the yeah. in the early eighties um, to age myself. But yeah. Some point in that period of time, in that 70s and 80s, uh, the concept of strength conditioning sort of started to, to proliferate in the NCAAs. Um, mm-hmm. Boyd Epley up at the University of Nebraska was one of the first sort of mm-hmm. pioneers in that space uh, where they started applying some of these track and things that they saw in track and field. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, that really makes them faster and stronger, and mm-hmm. that might be good for football. Those are sort of things that started to to drip out of some of those early days. Yeah, I created all those thick-neck offensive linemen in Nebraska for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, he was a real pioneer in that space, and there's been others, but uh, but that's where it started to kind of drip feed in, I think. And the kid piece, it's interesting, there was a position paper that was um, uh, the governing body of National Strength Conditioning Association, or NSCA. They began to put out position papers. Now, that's sort of the gold standard of certification for yeah. our field of strength conditioning coaches. And in the mid-'90s, they started creating position papers based on the literature for kids because we started to see this now pulling into the high schools Mm -hmm. and then it started to pull into the middle schools and even into the grade schools and so those positions papers started to come out a lot of research uh, started to be done in that space i've got some data from a position paper that came out in 2009 so they've updated it Mm -hmm. along the way because it's just continued to be this hey this is top of mind it looks like there's something really here How should we do it? Is it good? Is it safe? What are some general rules of thumb based on the literature, based on the science that would help us make this the best? So it's it's really somewhat recent, but it's it's continuing to uh, the the research is continuing to come in on it. Well, and you can tell that just by looking at some of the high school weight rooms, you know, that weren't there many years ago. You know, you'd walk into uh, something and it'd be under a stadium, and there'd be five sets of something laying around in an old damp room. And over at Nathan Hale, it was the old wrestling room. Mm -hmm. You know, so and they had like three sets of benches in there and that was it mm. now you walk into union's new one wow, <laughs> just yeah. and it's ridiculously impressive walk into bixby's it's impressive but at what point did we take enough close enough look physiologically to say okay this isn't damaging because they used to tell you that would damage kids and it would slow bone growth and all those things yeah and and somewhat recently still um i think some of the initial things you probably heard the well it's going to mess up your uh, your growth plates if mm-hmm. you if you uh, and you mentioned get stiff and and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things so a lot of research has gone into that um t- just in the last 20 years even to really pull pull into that space and say is that is that real is that really what's happened here and um that's one of the questions that that we always get is is resistance training safe for kids i mean yes. that's the big the big question right 
and that I hate to say it, but it depends. Uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the bench presses that you saw in there. Um, just like any good tool, that bench press is probably a good tool in the right hands, used correctly with help. With like help, going there by yourself right. and that yeah. kind of thing. Sure. In the wrong hands, used incorrectly, mm-hmm. it can become dangerous. So the, it depends. Kind of it depends on three big things. What the research and literature has supported now is properly designed programs. That's the one thing that, that, that maybe gets us in a bind is when we don't have a designed program, something that's been designed to get us a progressive overload of improvement versus just randomly coming in there and, and doing something. Mm-hmm. And so that was part one of sort of the, 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 the research identifying is it safe for kids. The other it depends is is it properly supervised. So you mentioned supervision, and that's yep. something big with kids is that we, we find that they're a lot safer, uh, those, those injuries. When, when it's well-designed, well-supervised, I think there's only three published studies that have shown any injuries uh, at all. And those were injuries that you recovered within a week to 10 days. They were you know, basic soft tissue. Overuse things. injuries. Not injuries, even yeah. overuse, just little, little, little tweaks. Um, so supervision, qualified mm-hmm. supervision. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, what, what makes you qualified. And then the third is the equipment itself. Yes. You know, I, I had an old uh, universal gym in my old high school, and there was one, there was the leg press machine that, man, it was a loose screw over there, you know, and you knew it, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of, when you started moving any any bigger weights, you know, that, that little thing started to wiggle. Safe equipment and making sure the equipment is updated. So that's the, is resistance training safe for kids? The literature, again, this is not me just telling you, the literature would support that, yes, it is. It depends if it's properly designed, supervised by a qualified individual, and that the equipment itself is safe. And when you say qualified, there are a lot of different ways to do that. There are trainers, there are training staff, but there are people too. I mean, someone who just happens to be a coach, who's, I say just happens to be someone who's a coach who was in there and their whole job is to watch, but are they qualified? Yeah, that's a good, good question. And I think the, the qualified place where we go, again, from a, from a national governing body, is, is some of these certifications. And certification is one extra wrinkle of, yeah, you know what you're doing. You've gone through the rigor of, of studying and, um, and passing an exam. Um, the gold standard in strength conditioning right now, uh, if you're looking, you know, if you're a parent looking, is your, is your coach uh, qualified? Or uh, the, the big certification, the gold standard, is called the CSCS, and that's a Certified Strength Conditioning Specialist. And that's the gold standard. Um, coming from the NSCA. There are other good ones, mm-hmm. but that would be first is, are they, are they qualified? Not just they've, they've lifted weights in their past. Exactly, they're, you know, they're, right, they, yeah. they're a weight lifter. They are a, a coach. They are a, somebody that has been, has been certified. So that would be the, the, the quick litmus test. Yeah. The, the guy at Nathan Hale back when I was there, who was the quote unquote weight guy had been in the Pan Am games as a weightlifter and a really nice guy. He was an assistant principal, Rod Goodsell. Uh, and Rod was a huge human and he was fun and he knew what he was doing, but he just happened to be a weightlifter. And that was, if you wanted to go out in the off season, they'd, they'd let you because he'd be out there with his tuna casserole pumping weights yeah. <laughs> in that old room. Lance Walker is with us from Oklahoma State. That's the Human Performance and Nutrition Institute here on the Blitz 1170. It's 758. Bryce? Lance, what are some good rule of thumb recommendations for, uh, you know, even just for kids lifting weights that, you know, parents and coaches can know, but really for anybody that's weightlifting? It's, it's a really good question. And, and these rules of thumb are not just, you know, the, uh, ah, this is kind of what's worked in the past or I, what I've seen happen. This comes from the literature. So that's where I want to make sure I'm really clear that this is coming from this, this position statement mm-hmm. based on the body of knowledge. And it's constantly evolving, but this is where we, we stand today. And there's a lot of things that you can apply to your, your training as well. Um, with kids, 
Number one is, um, and there's six, six big rules of thumb. Number one is qualified instruction, supervision, and planning. I, I've said it a bunch, right? right. Uh, you have a plan. It's a qualified, supervised program. So that's rule of thumb number one. That NSCA certification is a strong one. Uh, ACSM, NASM, those are good certifications to look for. Ensure the equipment is safe. <laughs> Uh, that's going to that's gonna be an important. If, if you're exercising on a great program with high, highly supervised, qualified staff, but you're, you're working out on, a, on an unsafe piece of equipment, um, that's going to be important to understand, which gets into home gyms, right? I mean, a lot of these injuries with kids we're finding is with when they're exercising on home gyms yeah. that are unsafe, also unsupervised, right? And nobody's really looking at technique out in the or garage. Or supervised by someone who just isn't as aware, and yeah. maybe I'll let them do something they shouldn't. Right, or my son's out in the garage last night. You know, he's experimenting out there. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, I, you know, that's, the, that's probably not the safest environment for him to be out there experimenting <laughs> with a bunch of weight. Number three is start light. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. basic, but start light and increase gradually. I mean, sounds, sounds commonsensical, right? A, re- a great way to understand improvements and, and gradual progressions with kids is technical, is the technique sound. And don't let the technique ever fall off. There's no reason to get out of technical proficiency with lifting. And if it's the technique begins to suffer, guess what? Probably too heavy, right? Mm-hmm. You're probably yeah. progressing too fast. Uh, number four, two to three times a week in terms of density. You know, we think, oh, we got to train every day, five to seven days. With kids? You may be able to get more away with more out of and more away with two to three days a week, okay. especially initially on non-consecutive days. And so that's what we see with kids a lot of time. Oh, let's do a Monday and a Tuesday back to back. Let's give them those non-consecutive days and you'll get a bit of bang for your buck. Consistency. This is a big one. So number five would be consistency. You, it's just like a, 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 a pill, right? It's you, If you don't take the pills on a consistent mm-hmm. basis. And so some parents and, and coaches are like, well, the strength training doesn't work that well. Well, tell me about your density of training. Tell me about your consistency. Well, I tried it a couple of days. Yeah. and it di- <laughs> Wait a minute. It's going to take some time, and over time you begin to develop some of those trappings. So be consistent. Um, be consistent with your maintenance. You talked about in-season, right? Mm-hmm. With If you lift for eight weeks and you get all this great strength that you're applying to your sport, well, guess what happens when you stop? That starts to kind of drift back down. And, and so even a maintenance dose of one day a week in season with kids has shown to be uh, very effective. And the final one, less is more. So oh, I'm going to do eight sets and, and, you know, 17 different exercises. One to three sets might be enough for your kids, especially initially. Leave two in the tank is a rule of thumb that's being used a lot. You're doing a set of 10, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure that you've left two reps in the tank. I could have done 12, mm-hmm. but I got 10. So it's not, I did 10, and man, the 10th one just buried me. It leaves a little cushion on the top of that. It keeps it what we call submaximal. So leave two in the tank. And when you're walking out of the gym, you should feel good. You shouldn't feel buried, right? (laughs) I mean, that's that's a beat down for kids, too. Every time they go in the weight room and they walk out feeling worse than when they walked in, I don't know what you think about that, but that doesn't help me stay motivated. Uh, And so the feel good when you walk out. So those would be the six rule of thumbs I'd give you. Yeah, and so the the bottom line is we know it's not bad for kids, and in many years they said that, but you do have to do it right. And the other thing is, and I've seen this happen in high school, is you get somebody in there who gets pushed a little too hard and you just turn them off to the whole thing. And when that happens, you kind of lose somebody mentally. It's a great point. The the improvements that you get with strength training with kids is is so dramatic, and this is where a lot of the good research is starting to, to show up. Strength, does it work to get them stronger? Yes. Some studies show up to 74% increase in strength in eight weeks. 
Seventy-four percent. You, so you get stronger, big, Bryce. Man, wow, there's a chance. Yeah, there, there's some hope for me. How about cardiovascular risk? Uh-huh. That it, the strength training with kids has shown a decreased body fat, increased insulin sensitivity. Think about these things. These are trappings from for kids. Motor skill, vertical jump, speed, power, running economy. We need more research in that space, but we're seeing an application that this helps you be a better mover potentially. Sports injury resistance, bone health. Muscle imbalances, mm-hmm. you know, those are the, some of the trappings of, of how people get injured in the first place is some of those risk factors. This can be a help in terms of managing those risk factors. There's a couple in here that you might not, you mentioned it, psychosocial well-being, oh, yeah. mood, self-confidence. Those, those things aren't top of mind sometimes when we think about resistance training with kids, but absolutely has been shown in the literature uh, to, to impact that. And the last one you mentioned, it was great. That's why I wanted to go to that exercise habits. You create an exercise habit when you have a positive experience. You're a better mover. You enjoy it. Now when you show up at the gym and, and Bryce, you go in the gym now, if you were a kid and you had a good experience in the weight room, you know what you're doing. You were properly supervised and guided. you got a plan when you walk into that gym, right? You're not standing there thinking, oh, gosh, what do I do? I guess I'll just go over and get on the treadmill because I know how to walk or I know how to run. I don't know how to do any of that other stuff or have confidence doing it. So it's creation of those exercise habits that can that can fuel you for life. Or we're asking some people when they'll join a gym like that uh, and it's, you know, maybe parents with a kid, they're afraid to ask. Yeah. I mean, if, almost everyone's afraid to ask questions. I Absolutely. mean, I experienced that as a dive instructor when I'll tell them, you got to ask because I can't talk to you underwater. So you got to ask me, you got to tell me here if you don't understand. But many times nobody will. So that's why they'll walk in and just start walking around. They'll look at people. Most of those kids who are going to try to be athletic have leadership, and that really helps. Now, I know big schools do. Is it coming along at small schools in Oklahoma? We're we're pushing hard. I think that's that's absolutely. I think a, a, a major a major piece of what HPNRI is about is being an advocate for this sort of thing because we see it beyond sport. Resistance training uh, is going to help us in life. It's going to help us be a healthier state of Oklahoma, and so we're really advocating for more strength conditioning programs with supervised, qualified personnel in small schools. That's hard. It right? is because of money. It, it, because of money, because of staff. Yep. Uh, how do we support the coaches that are doing that? It mm-hmm. may be the football coach that it falls to the football yeah. coach to be the strength conditioning coach. Or the basketball or whoever, yeah. Exactly. Let's make sure that those coaches know where the resources are. Let's patch them into some of those experts. We're even talking about potentially launching an additional echo line mm-hmm. just for strength and conditioning for kids to be that resource that can pull in there and absolutely support some of those areas that don't have a full-time strength conditioning staff. Let's also clear up what, what kids is when it comes to age group. Yeah. Children, kids, we're talking about anything 18 to about 12, we'll call that a kid. Children, you know, younger than that, that, that peak height velocity, that growth spurt. But really the research is supporting it sort of across a, a broad band from, from How very young? young, nine years old, all the way up to 18, some of this research. Now, different parameters for sure. each. That's where the expertise of supervision comes in. But there are benefits. Some of this research, this is showing that the benefits drip all the way down into those pre-adolescent years. Again, safe if. Mm-hmm. It depends. Make sure, and again, the specifics of that uh, guide your guide your training. But there's benefits down in there that uh, that outweigh the risks. In fact, some of the research would indicate that it may be safer than the sports you're playing. 
if you do it right. Well, yeah, because some of those can be, yeah. Yeah, we know collisions can be difficult. Yeah. A couple more minutes here with Lance Walker from Oklahoma State Human Performance and Nutrition Institute. We're talking resistance training for kids here today, which I think is a really, really good topic. And it's something that has changed a lot, as I said, back in my time. And you mentioned something there that I don't think not everybody understands is that this is not just – most people think you got to get on a treadmill for cardio. And not that strength training is going to get you a you know a, a forty eight to fifty heart rate and, and that kind of thing. However, it does make a difference, doesn't it? No doubt about it. Um, and in fact, it, it's it's some of that as as you grow after you get through that uh, that growth spurt and your and and after puberty, that's when you really start gaining muscle, right? Before that, it's interesting. Before that period of time, a lot of these strength gains that kids go through, it isn't really that their muscles getting bigger. I mean, you don't see the nine-year-old walking around looking like, you know, Hulk Hogan. Um, Where their strength comes from is the neurological system, the wiring. So they're creating the wiring at that age. And that becomes the really where they begin to get stronger is just the wiring to the, they get some muscle improvement, muscle mass improvement. But when you think about after adolescence now, that 15, 16, 17, they start using resistance training. It makes their muscle better as well. That muscle that's the thing that's chewing up calories all day long, right? And so you've got a potentially a higher resting metabolic rate. You have more lean body mass. It sort of gives you the buffer to, you know, it gives me a buffer to go eat more. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I, I don't really enjoy lifting weights that much, but if I keep my lean body mass up, it gives me a pretty good reservoir of calories um, that, uh, that I know I'm going to eat. I know I'm going to eat this weekend. Sorry, I started to laugh. That's why I started to cap. I started to cough. <laughs> said, hey, I'm hitting the gym so I can go to the buffet. And not quite that. Not no, that. Yeah, that exactly. Plain, right. And, you know, something that's, that's in the literature now that we're starting to see, and more research is needed, uh, but that resistance training can improve your lipid profiles in kids. So, again, those are, these are things, again, more research needed, absolutely. But, man, we're looking at this thinking, wow, this is a really great adjunct to the, yeah, go get on the treadmill to get your cardiovascular <laughs> yeah. health done. It's going to be a great combination. That's why it's always strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. We, like, we like to think about putting the and in uh, back mm-hmm. in that. And by the way, lipids, we're talking about blood fats, things like that, cholesterol, and those kinds of things, from, just in case. Uh, all right, so for the people who want to get a hold of this and, and kind of get what you have here, tell them how to access it. A couple of places. One is we'll begin to, to add these, these resources into our ongoing ECHOs, and that's the, the extension for uh, community health care outcomes. And you can get online, medicine.okstate.edu backslash ECHO, that's E-C-H-O, and you can attend some of these, these echo lines as a parent, as a coach. Get your coach involved in mm-hmm. this. The Athletic Training Sports Medicine Echo at a future echo, we're going to be going over this in a bit more detail. And it doesn't cost anything. And it's free. Yeah. And if you're a provider, if you're a, an athletic trainer, you're going to get continued medical education credits uh, to join us. So we encourage you to join that. Uh, and if you want to just go to our website at HPNRI, that's go.okstate.edu backslash HPNRI. And you'll see great there will be some great topical um, things there. At some point soon, we're going to be having some additional uh, ways that you can tap into some of this uh, through fact sheets, et cetera. But those are two places to start your search. So we're going to switch from this, which is health and nutrition and taking care of yourself, to beer in just a minute. You always <laughs> do that, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gilbert. Uh, however, well, a healthier beer. Yes, a healthier <laughs> beer, right? Troy Aikman's beer. We'll do that in a moment. Uh, Lance, it's always good and it's always interesting. I really enjoy these things. I understand a lot 
lot of people can just hear, oh, it's about fitness, and they just tune it out. But I do think as a society, we've become a lot more attuned to making sure we stay that way. And, and I don't think any of us, especially as you get older, want to be that person hunchback walking across the, the room. You want to think you can still move. I mean, to me, it's very comes down to this movement is life. Yeah, I love it. And, and if, if you're doing that, then 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 that's a good thing. That's right? right. That's right. Love it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. You betcha. That's Lance Walker from the Oklahoma State Human Performance and Nutrition Institute right here on the Blitz 1170. It's 810. He's Bryce Hall. I'm Rick Corey. We'll get that beer guy. Tom Gilbert will be up next. He's probably bench pressing a pint right now. Oh, yeah. We'll find out from Tom here in just a moment on the Blitz. The Blitz 1170, your new home for Dan Patrick. From the Oklahoma Sports Desk, it's time for a two-minute drill on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. The OSU men's basketball team will look to bounce back tomorrow after back-to-back losses. They'll be in Austin to face the Texas Longhorns. Tip-off is at 1 with a 12 o'clock pregame here on the Blitz 1170. The Oklahoma Sooners will be welcoming a familiar face to Lloyd Noble Center as Kelvin Sampson and the top-ranked Houston Cougars come into Norman tomorrow. Tip-off is at 7. And the Tulsa Golden Hurricane will be at Temple looking to get back above 500. Tip-off will be at 12 tomorrow with an 11.30 pregame starting over on Big Country 99.5. That's the Winter World of Tulsa 2-Minute Drill. I'm Bryce Holson on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. Blitzing up your mornings. This is the Morning Blitz with Rick Corey. Want to get in the game? You can always join in by texting us at 918-262-5072. That's our Neuropathy Treatment Clinic of Oklahoma text line. And you know what? If you've had Troy Aikman's beer, let us know. 918-262-5072. What'd you think? I know a guy will have an opinion here at 813 on the Blitz 1170. Along with Bryce Hulse, I'm Rick Corey. We're joined by our beer blogger from What the Ale? And that is Tom Gilbert. All right, Tom, did you get a chance to go out there and uh, and give a taste of Troy's new beer? I did. It was it was really refreshing and good, and uh, um, you know I think it'll hit a hit a target market that uh, will do well. He says it's clean, and I, I mean, how would you describe the flavor? Bryce just said it's very light. What do you think? Well, it's it's light, but it does have a little bit of you know. Sometimes it just tastes like water when you have light beers, and this one has a little bit more flavor to it than uh, you know your typical light beer. Uh, I would probably I would drink it if I was mowing the yard and you know finishing up and not worried about having to do anything you know just thirst quencher type thing. So right. yeah, he, it's... He, and he even said uh, you know this isn't a beer for IPA drinkers. And I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm your typical IPA drinker, so but you know I would drink it if it's hot and you know bothered or whatever. Yeah, that, that's a, kind of what Jeremy said when he tried it. it was our, our you know of course our Boston TV star Jeremy Poplin, who who said you know it just kind of is easy drinking, and we've heard that described before. But when you hear that term, what does that mean to you? That means uh, you know like a session session beer. Uh, you can drink numerous. It's four you percent know, ABV. It's, it's back to the days of the three two you know, beer that Oklahoma was used to for a long time. Uh, so, you know, you can watch a whole football game and not have to worry too much about, you know, over overindulging and, <laughs> and, and having to do more bench presses later, you know, to, 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 to equal it out. Yeah, I got you. Now, when, when he first came here, you know, we understood he was going to come. We knew he was going to be here Wednesday, kind of a private event. And when I looked the day before – I didn't see a lot of places that were starting to carry it. Of course, it was just coming into the market. And I just did the search right now at 8beer.com, which you can do. You can go in and put in your, your uh, zip code. It is stinking everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it has uh, invaded it, the market. 
Well, LDF is a distributor for a lot of brands and, you know, they, they have a massive distribution area and, you know, liquor stores, research, quick trips, you know, it's going to be everywhere. And, uh, it takes a lot of money to, you know, to get that much push. And of course, Troy's got lots of money. So, uh, you know, it's going to be everywhere. And I, and I think, uh, you know, eventually it, it will be more places outside of Oklahoma, you know, yeah. Oklahoma and Texas and, um, uh, you know, and I, I'm happy that they're, you know, it's a locally owned brand, you know, yeah. and Anheuser-Busch isn't really locally owned anymore. Yeah. So, you know, and considering, and we're talking to Tom Gilbert from the What's the AO Beer column. He is our guy when it comes to spirits. Uh, when it comes to something like this, you've seen a lot of beers come and go and opening and all. As an initial product, how does this one stack up? Well, I think uh, the product itself is is a strong product. I mean, he did his research and, and you know, made taste tests and all, all the above. But, you know, you have somebody like Troy's putting his name behind it, you know, that, that goes a long way. And there, there's a lot of celebrities that are doing that now with whiskeys and, yeah. you know, wines and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, but you know, the average beer drinker doesn't really have that. And, uh, you know, the, I say average, I mean, you know, the, the guys that drink like beer. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a, it's a good marketing tool. I'm surprised no one has done it, you know, previously that has his notoriety, notoriety. So, is there anything about it that um, you, you talk about? I know you're a big flavor guy and you brew your own too. Is there, was there a note of flavor in there that is different than something else? Uh, anything you picked up? Cause I know you were very good about being able to pick those flavors and tastes up. Well, uh, it didn't taste like water. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it, it, it had some flavor to it, uh, you know, a little bit of a malty back to it, I think. Uh, it's not overly hot. I mean, it's hard to, you know, make a beer with low carbs and low calories that doesn't have, you know, you can do it, but, uh, it, it, you don't want to overly hop something and, and, you know, turn someone off that doesn't like hops, you know, mm-hmm. so like beer drinkers typically just like something that, oh, it's easy to drink. Yep. Uh, so I think it, I remember tasting a little bit more malty, uh, you know, backbone to it. So it, you know, it was really well balanced for something like what it was. Yeah, I, I watched a lot of his interviews, and you know, he 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 went on he, he multiple times talked about carbs and, and calories, but he also said they'd worked very closely on flavor. So I wanted to see what you picked up. It's eight eighteen here on the Blitz eleven seventy with Tom Gilbert. He's our beer blogger from What's the Ale. He's on with us at least monthly as we talk about things. We're going to get into St. Patrick's Day in a moment, Bryce. Tom, I'm going to the Dead Armadillo Brewery tonight, and I'd never been. Do you have a couple recommendations? Well, you can't really go wrong with Tulsa Flag. I mean, that's their main main beer. Uh, they also have a, a stout that's really tasty too. Uh, oh, what is it? Uh, it's it's their uh, common stout. I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the stout is really good. And uh, I just did a, a story on uh, on what and what the L like two weeks ago about one of their beers that they. Uh, made and i can't think of the name of it either because i probably <laughs> had to need beer since then see that you've been but drinking I, beer so long you can't remember beer <laughs> well you, you, this is the thing you know I, and this is what i asked troy is like you know you have a lot of competition out there you go into a liquor store now and what 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 do you see it's like everywhere there's yep. beer there's everybody's got six beers out mm. and it's like are you going to come up with another beer and or he's like well we're concentrating on this one right now so um but you know that's that's uh part of the you know, the issue with doing all this stuff, it's, uh, um, 
the competition. And like, again, with his name recognition and, and hopefully they, I mean, they will have to push it that way, you know, just cause yeah. it's just going to be another beer if he doesn't. Yep. But anyway, yeah, it's uh so the dead armadillo, I really like this. It's a, it just came out. It's a blue dome wit. It's mm. a, it's a wit style beer, a wheat beer that uh, is named after the blue dome district. And they have a little bit of blueberry in it. It's not very much. You can taste it, but it's not overly anything, you know, it's just really well balanced and, that that's a definitely a thirst quencher too that has that's flavor to it. So it's not like overly flavored, but really are you good. Su- are you surprised, Tom? And, I, and again, I know you started this with your dad when you were you know very young, actually brewing beer. Nowadays, there are so many of the the blueberry, the pineapple, or a raspberry, those kinds of flavors that you know. Gosh, you didn't see that stuff growing up. Is that surprising, or is that just a natural progression of what we're going to be doing? Well, I think it's it's natural. Uh, I mean, you you do have your uh, brewers that keep it, you know, pretty consistent. They might add coffee or something like that. But, uh, you know, with the fruited uh, beverages, it, it goes, and it's also trying to get market share. I mean, uh, if you put some fruit in it and it's sweeter or it has a little bit something different, you you might get a different market share, say, female drinkers that, that are wine drinkers or something that they want something a little bit sweeter. Not, not to say that men don't like that, too. Mm. Uh, but it, it's a, you know, you, you try to get as many taste buds on, you know, drinking your beer as possible. So yeah. we're going to have a couple more minutes here with Tom Gilbert. He's our beer blogger from what the Yale. I have to ask because we have switched into March and now this is kind of official beer season because St. Patrick's day is coming up. Oh, I would imagine oh there's more 4th of July drinking than, than, than now, but it's the time when everybody wants to be Danny boy O'Connor. Everybody wants to be Irish and there are those beers that start to come out. What are we going to start to see this month, Tom? Oh, well, there's, uh, again, lots of uh, red ales and, and some stouts, too. I believe Erie uh, um, Abbey's got a stout, an Irish stout that comes out. You know, and people typically think Guinness is, you know, the Irish stout of the, the way. And it's it's actually only 4%. It's a really light beer. You know, it's maybe you can't see through it, but it's a light beer. And uh, so stuff like that, Irish reds come out. Um, I know uh, Marshall's got a... Uh, uh, a small batch of uh, Big Jamoke, which is a porter, and they've added some coffee to it, which would be really tasty because it really bounces out. Um, but, the man, talk about lots of uh, events coming up. Uh, May, April and May, is, there's tons of uh, beer-tasting events. Mm-hmm. So, you know, get, get, get ready for the St. Patrick's Day block parties. I mean, mm-hmm. almost every brewery is doing a, a party somehow, a brunch or a party. Um one of the thing, one of the things that's come up is, uh, you know, a lot of people did homebrew, and this is sort of a sad deal because it's sort of come around where there's so many breweries now that the uh, brewery supply stores aren't doing very well because people are there's a vast amount of beer, and they, you know, the high gravity. I've mentioned them numerous times. They're going to have to go out of business, oh, so gosh. they're they're having a, a, a St. Patrick's Day party, and I think March 23rd there's going to be their big. Raw and the, you know it's just twenty. It's going to be twenty years for them that they've been in business. So, um, sort of it's it's, it's you know it's one of those uh, you've done something so well and now everyone you know they they people don't need to brew their beer anymore because there's so many great breweries around. Yeah. So that, that sort of hurt them in the pandemic, of course, and stuff like that. I know some people who do it just because they enjoy it, though, not just because of that. A couple of mornings here, as we said, with Tom Gilbert, uh, with the What's the Ale Beer, er, er, What's the Ale, pardon me, beer column. All right, so when you say Irish Red, how would you describe what that really is? Because there's going to be a lot of people who don't know what that would even entail. 
Well, it has a, the malt itself uh, creates the uh, redness in the beer. So it's kind of like an amber red color to it. So, I mean, that's why it's called a, a red. And I'm sure it's, um, you know, got the malty flavor to it. It's, mm-hmm. it's easy drinking as well. I mean, not a lot of hot flavor on, on those those kind of beers. So uh, so that's why, you know, during St. Patrick's Day, when there's a lot of people, not necessarily beer drinkers, would drink, they, they would go towards that. <laughs> since it's, it's not quite in your face, you know, hoppy and stuff like that. What is what is the quintessential St. Patrick's Day beer? Probably Guinness, yeah. Guinness would be, I mean, I think uh, McNally sells more Guinness in the United States than any other place. <laughs> wow. So McNally's is celebrating their 20th anniversary, and it's it would probably be a wild one, of course, because there's always <laughs> lots of people there. But, All uh, right. Yeah, they're they one of the, you know, they started, that's why I love McNally's, because they had so many varieties of beer before you could, in one place that you could get, uh, they started it for, for Tulsa, so... What beer goes best with a good corned beef sandwich? Because that says St. Patrick's Day to me. <laughs> yeah, those, I love corned beef. Uh, oh, I don't, uh, you know, an amber, an amber ale, an IPA. I, I mean, I, I, I always like those, a little bit of a flavor, you know, mm-hmm. you drink a little bit of the flavor and you taste a little bit of the flavor too. So, yeah. But, um, Tell anything me, that you like that you like is good with corned beef for in my taste. I've never had anything bad with corned beef. All right, so tell people how to find your column. Uh, you can get on TulsaPeople.com, uh, and uh, my all my stuff is on uh, online there, the top left corner. Uh, I do a beer of the week. I've got you know numerous stories. I, I interviewed uh, um, Troy for about twenty minutes and talked about his home run that he hit in the Fortune Park, and you know just all sorts of related stuff with beer and and people that's fantastic i'm glad you got that that kind of access in there all right so uh what's coming up you said you you wrote about a brand new beer this week tell us about that before you go Uh, well the the uh, beer of the week will be from high gravity and it 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 comes out monday and it's a uh, a beer that is dedicated to uh, a, a girl that passed away from colorectal cancer uh heather sams was her name and so they're doing a benefit for her family and the name of the beer is um, Check Your Booty, uh, and they're going to give proceeds to the colorectal cancer for in her name and, and to help uh, also to help her kids. Uh, that is fantastic so. that they're doing that kind of work. Tom, it's always fun talking to you. I hope you have a good corned beef sandwich and a wonderful beer sometime for St. Patrick's Day. We'll get back with you as we get a little closer to summer and talk about how we change over. I appreciate it. Say hi to Karen for me. Uh, I will. Thanks, Rick. Take care. You you betcha. That is Tom Gilbert. He is our beer blogger. What the ale? You can find him at Tulsa People. We'll make sure we put a link to that as well. It's 826 here on the Blitz 1170. All right, so we're going to turn our – we went with training, from training and weight training to beer. Now we're going to go to high school football. So you kind of probably combine all that, don't you? (laughs) That will be coming up in just a few minutes with Brian Thompson, the brand-new head coach at Holland Hall here on the Blitz 1170. Don't look now, but the Blitz is on TikTok. Follow along at the Blitz 1170. From the Oklahoma Sports Desk, it's time for a two-minute drill on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. OSU Baseball opens Obrate Stadium today with a series against Central Michigan. Game 1 starts today at 4 p.m. 
OU is in La- OU Sooners are in Las Vegas for the College Baseball Classic. They'll start off today at four against the Pitt Panthers. And last night, the Oklahoma City Thunder lost to the San Antonio Spurs, 132 to 118. SGA led the Thunder with 31 points. Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren each had 23, and Victor Wembanyama had 28 and 12 for the Spurs. Oklahoma City will be at Phoenix on Sunday. That's the Wonder World of Tulsa Two Minute Drill. I'm Bryce Holson on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. The Blitz 1170 weather provided by Community Care, your locally owned health plan. This is the Morning Blitz with Rick Corey. Want to get in the game? Call us up at 918-879-1170. We want to hear from you. And Bryce Sauls in the next studio is at 832 on the Blitz 1170, 918-262-5072. It's our Neuropathy Treatment Clinic of Oklahoma text line. If you have something to add or question for, Brian Thompson. He's the brand-new head football coach at Holland Hall. How's that sound, old friend? Good, neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh yeah it's uh it's quite the honor especially just for how long i mean we've only had three other head coaches in the history of holland hall so uh and just the respect i have for those people it's uh the fact that they even see me a little bit in that regard is is pretty special it is and you go back to him and i didn't know mr hooker i know charlie brown quite well he was there 66 to 99 and of course no tag 20 to 20 2020-23 but you've been there now since 97 so 26 years yep i've been there which coach brown was the one that convinced me to come over and uh i've been there for or i was with him for three years and then he retired and of course i'd already known uh, tag through kind of high school football and summer throwing camps with Larry Miller and Daniel Ford. And oh, yeah. so, uh, yeah. so I stayed with, uh, I've been with tag for a long time, but he's, it actually kind of took me by surprise when he retired, but, uh, yeah, it's, they're great mentors and, uh, have done nothing but positive things for this school. And if you'd like to ask a question, uh, Brian, you can at 918-262-5072 or in the Treatment Clinic of Oklahoma Text Line. All right, you said you were somewhat surprised Tag retired. I, I visited with him last year. He came out and did an hour with us as we were kind of trying to get to know head coaches. You got So there was no inkling on your part at all? And then when you saw that he did retire, how quickly before someone said, hey, you're next? <laughs> I mean, there were some conversations uh, pretty uh, you know, in a short time after that. But, uh, I mean, I think people speculated about that, but Tag and I just really didn't talk about it because, uh, you know, usually every week we're sitting there focused on our next game and, and working on football stuff. And so we never really had long conversations about that. But, uh, yeah, it just – other again, other people speculated about Tag retiring, like when his kids got done playing or whatever, but, but – I really, I'm being honest. I really didn't. So, um, but again, I'm happy for him, and I will certainly lean on him and Coach Brown for uh, advice because those guys were in that role so long. But again, I'm I'm grateful for all the time I had with him too. You know, I was I was reading something here that said uh, Coach Brown actually tried to convince you to go out there along with Mark Matheson. Of course, I know Mark from his time at Tulsa <laughs> as well. So they were recruiting you to go play quarterback, huh? Uh, I mean, I mean, not recruiting. They were. <laughs> he had just. I would actually go play. We would go play basketball and stuff, and like open gym in the summer. And of course, Sparky Grober, who's a Holland Hall legend, and Fred Utter, those guys would be oh, yeah. around. And um, no, it was more of 
just being on campus and seeing the school. But Mark did go because uh, Mark was at Hale with me, mm-hmm. and then Mark went to uh, came over here his senior year, and that's what actually that's why I had to play quarterback at Hale my senior year because Mark came over here to play. And then, ironically, we ended up being roommates at TU, which was, uh, gosh, we could do. We could do 24 hours on Mark and I. So. <laughs> yeah, I trust me. I know that. Yeah, and, and, and see, got another hail guy here. This is nice. 836 <laughs> yeah. on the Blitz 1170. I myself am a Ranger from 1976. Uh, Bryce? Yeah, Coach, I wanted to ask, you know, obviously Brown and Gross have had an influence that you take with you into your new position, but when it comes to your time at TU, were there any coaches that came to mind in particular uh, in terms of an influence or an impact that you're going to take with you in your new role? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think that everybody, I think even going back to my high school coach, my high school coach, David Moore, I had so much respect for and learned things from him. And then, of course, I was fortunate to be with Coach Rader in his first year as head coach when he was the uh, he was the youngest head coach in Division One. then. He wasn't much older than all of us. Um, and then uh, Mike Lloyd at NEO. So you you take bits and pieces of all of them. But at TU, Coach Rader, I, I would think if you asked anybody that played for him, I mean, just the way he handles himself and the respect that we have for him as human being, uh, you would hope that that's what um, you would you would hope that's what you represent for your players. And also in that, my offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach Rocky Felker, he was a he was a pretty big influence in my life too um so those guys i i took things from them and i'm i'm still talk to all those all those people um but of course i respected all the coaches but the, the ones you're around the most coach writers the head coach and, and rocky felker i would say those two but uh yeah coach Coach Rader was a, a good one to have for sure. Uh, Rocky in that uh, that kind of Tennessee drawl of his spent time at Mississippi State. What's Rocky doing now? Uh, I actually had talked to he and Susan when he went. You know, they bounced around, and, mm-hmm. and he was at – I actually was coaching at NEO, and he was at Arkansas for a short time. Um, oh, gosh, the old Clemson guy, the kind of edgy uh, – Ford? I can't remember. Was that – Yes, he was he was with uh, Ford at yeah. Arkansas, and so and oh, he would recruit yeah. <laughs> some of my guys at NEO, and then he was back at Mississippi State, and I'd actually talked to uh, Susan, his wife, a few times when he's down there, but I haven't I, I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, yeah, he he was he was he was a good guy, and it's funny because I I mentioned something the other day about which these guys wouldn't remember that, but they jokingly. Both of them, when I was going to go into coaching, Coach Ritter and Coach Felker, like, are you sure this is what you want to do? <laughs> are you sure you want this life? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, the, yeah, I have a ton of respect for those guys. And, and and Coach Felker did have the old, he was like, BT, run the, go run that bench route. Bench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, but, he d- definitely yeah. had that going. Uh, Brian Thompson with us. He's the new head coach at Holland Hall, taking over for a guy who'd been there forever, Tag Gross, who took over for a guy who'd been there forever, and, you know, and Mr. Brown, and just keeps on going. You know, one thing about coaching at a place like that, Holland Hall, and I know you've been there a long time, you do need to know the place. We talked about that before with, say, TU. Hey, you have to know what this is because it's not like other jobs. We, how would you describe Holland Hall from that standpoint? And do you think it helps an awful lot that you have that kind of experience at that school? Because it's not the same as everything else. I I do. Um, now, that being said, when I came in 
97. Uh, of course, I just I kind of had a familiarity just from playing high school here, and I and like I said, I'd come over and play basketball or whatever. Uh, so I had a, a somewhat and and Mark, my roommate in college, had had gone to school here, and Jason Percy, another guy that I played with, had came to school here. So, um, yeah, I think that helps, and it's a different culture. I mean, I I told the students the other day, it's it's you know not just you've got to be able to handle the academic load and and if you know anything about Holland Hall they'll say academics arts and uh athletics and I can I can truly say that's from my own kids going here that's I mean that's true I mean most of our kids are in multiple sports um I mean I'm in track right now and I, I have kids from field hockey football uh, you know, volleyball. I mean, the kids are in multiple sports, and just because we don't have a lot of kids, but um, also I, I I learned it pretty quick when my first my first year um, I was coaching football, and I went to the upper school play, and like there was like four football players in the play, and I was like, oh, this is different from Hale. <laughs> uh, but it was, but also I thought it was super cool. I thought this is awesome. So it's, I mean, it, it helps. But uh, again, I, I when I got here. I just knew a little bit, but you just you just figure it out, and, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that I would say that I would tell people is that's the reason Charlie Brown has given 60 years of his life to this place, or Tag Gross, who went to school here, and 20 you know something years of his life is they they love the community and what it represents. Yeah, what's the biggest misconception you think about a school like Holland Hall? Um. Man, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, one is that, which you said it, I think people tend to use the word recruit with private schools. I mean, we, we have this, once we moved back in the SPC days, you, that we didn't have the same rules. We have the same rules as everybody else. So yeah. if, if somebody's interested in school, it's like anywhere else you're coming to take a tour and whatever. If you're, if you're an athlete, great. If you're a saxophone player, great. Um, <laughs> You know, whatever your thing is, we want you to be the best at that. But um, I think that is probably it that we can we can just take anybody whenever we want. That is that's that is not how that works. Yeah, um, right, right. Um, so the but it's and also that you know it's just a it's just an affluent whatever type of kid. That's not the case either. I mean, we have a pretty uh, uh, wide range of. Uh, Oh, different backgrounds and cultures and this and that, which is another great, great place, a great thing about this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, when I said recruiting, that was that was a mistake on my part. I I understand what they're, what <laughs> they're like. Though, back it then. is okay. I, it is they. It is it is that is just that. Hey, that's what when I was in school, that's the same thing I would say. Yeah, well, I just didn't, you know. And honestly, I was asked back when I was a high school athlete. Bishop Kelly had me come over and tour the facility and no, it wasn't being recruited, but I had meetings with people and looked at the school and all those kinds of things. So I know what that's like. And it's just a, it's my college part in me. All right. So let's talk about your Tulsa career a little bit. You know, as I told Christine yesterday, Hey, you know, Brian just got the head coaching job. Ask him why he's a football player. I said, I already, I already told Bryce that. Why don't, why don't you admit why you went from soccer to football? Oh, well, I mean, it's not like I've hide. No, I, I had. I did not ever play football until I did not ever play any organized football until seventh grade. Um, I was. I mean, I played all about every sport, but soccer was kind of my sport. And then, um, but I did. 
year, so I figured out pretty quick. Especially, I wasn't going, and I was not. I played in seventh and eighth, and was not going to play in ninth grade. And then I went to, I walked by my buddy Kenneth Rourke, who played basketball at Rice. Um, we were shooting baskets at MacArthur over there next to Hale, and walked by, and they were practicing. I was like, "Ooh, I, f- I feel like I need to be out there. I missed that." And then, uh, of course, I had gone to a game, and I was like. It's just kind of parents at our soccer games. There's a lot of people at these games. I feel like I need to get good at that sport. <laughs> um, so uh, I, it was different reasons, but I quickly uh, I, I quickly turned my focus and fell in love with that sport, even though I, I still loved soccer and mm-hmm. uh, basketball and everything else. But, yeah, it was just kind of the whole, uh, the, I don't want to say the pageantry, but there, there was a lot more going on in football than at my soccer game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no question. Uh, you got to Tulsa as a walk-on. You ended up, uh, you know, not only, I mean, yeah, you were roommates with Mark Matheson, but the other, on the other side of the field from Dan Bitson, which you heard an awful lot, I know. But when you look back at your career at Tulsa, what do you think you appreciate the most? Um, just the opportunity. I mean, it was, and it was more, even looking back, I had, which is, I can't even imagine what it would be like for a kid now with coming out of high school and NIL and this and that. Like it was, it was, it was more, it's vastly different than high school. It was more business like then. But I, I remember quickly when I graduated having such an appreciation for, oh my gosh, I can't believe they paid for my school for me to do what I love. Uh, that, that dawned on me pretty quick. And, um, and I think, Probably part of that was, you know, my sister uh, having to pay for school, me not having to pay for school, and I just and I was like, man, I can't believe they're they're paying for my school to do this. Um, but just the the everything about it, I mean, still your player. I mean, you mentioned Dan, like uh, someone had texted me a couple of days ago, and I literally texted back and said something about Dan, and I was like, man, Dan is my football hero, like mm-hmm. that guy. Um, just the people you come in contact with and uh, i mean even just the camaraderie and and of course your education that you appreciate but even like tj texted me the other day uh you know different people just those it, it is it literally and this is the same in high school it, it's about relationships and all of those relationships you garner uh through athletics but um uh, just the influence the coaches had on me and my teammates and being around those people just i mean that's kind of molds your helps mold your life and your character so um yeah i there i i mean i appreciate everything about it i know that's mm-hmm. a cheesy simple answer but I, I, there's nothing that i do not appreciate about uh, uh, playing college football and going to school at TU which of your four touchdowns was your favorite uh, I, well, man, that's not very many. Uh, I, <laughs> I assume, uh, probably OSU. Yeah. Um, um, and just because I actually grew up loving OSU and, uh, even though I followed to you and this and that, and unlike, um, some of my teammates that despise them, I do not, uh, <laughs> But I and I, it kind of sticks out in my mind just because it was OSU it was at home and also I remember getting in trouble from Coach Rader because we had a Rydell contract in and I had Nikes on that were taped up and it was kind of raining <laughs> and the tape came off my shoes and so then when I scored then of course that's running on the TV and I got scolded on Monday like 
hey, you're going to lose our shoe contract for us. And I was like, I understood. I got it. <laughs> Things you never thought of in high school or college. <laughs> well, I know this. I know that they, you know, the, 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 sometimes they use the term possession receiver poorly. Man, you you got Tulsa a lot of first downs I will never forget. And I think you're so deserving. I know your dedication has been fantastic. And he said neighbor because we don't live very far apart. He jogs by the house quite often. Uh, so, hey, look, I'm thrilled for you. I want to stay in contact during the season and good luck out there, man. You got it, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You betcha. That's Brian Thompson. He's the new head football coach at Holland Hall. It's 848 here on the Blitz 1170. That over there is Bryce Hulse. I'm Rick Corey. We'll close it up with some of our fun and interesting notes next right here on the Blitz 1170 inside the Tulsa Oilers studio. You can take the Blitz with you everywhere you go. Get in the game everywhere with the Blitz 1170 app. From the Oklahoma Sports Desk, it's time for a two-minute drill on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. The Tulsa Golden Hurricane will be at Temple tomorrow looking to get back above 500. Tip-off is at 12 with an 11.30 pregame starting over on Big Country 99.5. The OSU softball team will be back at Cowgirl Stadium as they host Seattle. First pitch for that one is at 3 o'clock, and after that they'll face off with Drake. That one starts around 5.30. And the opening of Love's Field in Norman is finally here as the top-ranked Oklahoma Sooners will host Miami of Ohio at 2 o'clock, then Liberty at around 5. That's the Window World of Tulsa 2-Minute Drill. I'm Bryce Olson, the Boots 1170 and streaming on the Boots 1170 app. Blitzing up your mornings. This is the Morning Blitz with Rick Corey. Want to get in the game? You can always join in by texting us at 918-262-5072. It's the Neuropathy Treatment Clinic of Oklahoma text line. We have had text on that this morning, and you're welcome to do it anytime here on the Blitz 1170. It's Friday, so it's not far from playing here in that 5 o'clock bell. In the meantime, as Bryce and I close it up here on this Friday, we have some things to get into, some notes here and there. I asked earlier... I said, hey, Bryce, you know who, who Tony Gwynn is? And you got that look on his face. It's a name you kind of recognize, and you got to kind of dig it up. Now, he's from my era, so it's a little different. Tony Gwynn, one of the best to ever play baseball, uh, and one of the guys who was very famous for the fact that this cat didn't strike out. I mean, he just didn't strike out in his number of at-bats. Well, you know, he was also he was a really good player in not just baseball, but in basketball, too. So I found this really interesting stat about Tony Gwynn. He had more assists in college, 590, than strikeouts in 20 years in the majors, 434 in 20 years. Yeah, so certainly a lot of opportunity for (laughs) for that and still didn't catch up. Yeah, Tony wasn't out of the lineup, right? 20 years, 434, but 590 assists. In college basketball, and when you hear about guys like that, you know Dave uh, Dave Winfield was another guy who played college basketball. You know, he, I think he was drafted. Dave Winfield played football. You know, he happened to be a baseball player at the end. And I was fortunate enough to interview him at spring training once. He's a huge human. I mean, my God, he's got shoulders the size of doors. <laughs> he's big, really nice guy too. But I mean, he's huge. He's six five ish, hmm. but he's wide. You know, as I said, he he was still on the bench and he was talking to a kid reporter. And when uh, he finished with them and he stood up and up and up and up and up, and I just kept <laughs> looking up like he was climbing a ladder. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we've told you about Tyler Owens from Texas Tech. If you haven't heard it yet, go look it up. 
He's the one that yesterday at the Combine told everybody he doesn't really believe in space or planets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he believes that the flat earth thing has some good points. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I have to laugh. I, I mean, it, we do have opportunity, uh, you know, in 2024 to kind of, you know, research this stuff. Surely there have been somebody that he told that could have been like, hey, don't. Don't ever tell anybody that, man. Probably. Let, let alone on the, yeah. on the podium at the NFL Combine. Yeah, probably, and don't call me Shirley. Mm. All right, so uh, Lenardi has got his uh, his uh, bracket buster and his uh, big deal, you know, his bracketology back out for the day. Uh, he still has Purdue, Arizona, UConn, and Houston on those one seeds. Let's go back, because uh, here's kind of what we're looking at here is we're looking at some of the bubble teams. Last four buys, he has to Florida Atlantic, Nevada, Wake Forest, Virginia. Last four in, New Mexico, Seton Hall, Gonzaga, and Providence. First four out, Villanova, Colorado, Utah, and St. John's. Next after that, A&M, Iowa, Ole Miss, and Kansas State. Uh, let's see, where does he have some of the Big 12? Let's see, there's, a, as I mentioned, Houston at three. That's Well, they're a one seed, but the three seed overall. Um, Iowa State, uh, an eight seed, and they have, remember, he's got him eighth overall, but a two seed. Uh, let's see here. Baylor, he has a three seed and 12 overall. There we go. Kansas, he has a nine nine overall and a three seed. Uh, and that's it as far as the Big 12 from those seeds there. So that's still really good. And he did get into it. I, th I thought this was interesting. If I don't know if you've heard it or talked about it uh, with your friends, but he talked about the Big 12 kind of gaming the system, he says. Okay. And and he went into a long explanation of what that meant, which I thought that was cool. I told you I had a funny note about Texas A&M, too, which I love to make fun of my guys mm -hmm. and, and girls. <laughs> you know, through the years, teams have been in different conferences. We know that. You know, A&M was not always in the SEC, blah, blah, blah. There's a school you've heard of who has more SEC championships since A&M. And this school left the SEC in 1965. That school, do you know? Tulane. It is. <laughs> it I is knew they were in the SEC, so I was like, that's mm -hmm. got to be a funny one. Tulane has more SEC titles, one, than A&M. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I love them, but it's still funny. Hey, I it's, just, it's I love doing right? it. It like, is definitely We'll that. remember it. And we mentioned they released Tulsa's complete football schedule yesterday. Um, and some of the things we didn't know is all completely about conference. It, they have changed the opener. It will be on a Thursday night. Northwestern State will be here on August 29th. Tulsa will then be at Arkansas State on the 7th. They will have Oklahoma State in, in the, here on the 14th. Be at Louisiana Tech. Oh, good. On the 21st. <laughs> Your bed, favorite. Bed bugs. Uh, at North Texas on the 28th. Army will be in town on October 5th. Of course, Army is now going to be a league yeah. member in football. Uh, Tulsa will be at Temple, so the cheesesteaks will fly on October 19th every year. Anytime we go, we have to do cheesesteaks. It's just one of those things. But, uh, UTSA will be in town for homecoming October 26th. Tulsa will be at UAB, Dreamland Barbecue. Uh, that's on November 2nd. <laughs> Telling you, <laughs> I know this stuff, All right? the places. <laughs> East Carolina will be here on a Thursday. That's the only other off-Friday game, or off-Saturday, pardon me. Thankfully, no Fridays. Thank God. Um, mm. I don't like Friday games, especially in college. I just don't think you should do that. But East Carolina will be here on Thursday, November 14th. Tulsa will be at South Florida. Um, that's November 23rd. That is a Friday. And then they will close it up with Florida Atlantic here on November 30. Any of those games jump out at you? 
I like UTSA for homecoming. Mm-hmm. That would be a good little matchup for them to come in now for homecoming. Yeah, hopefully a good little matchup. I don't I don't think this, the schedule sets up poorly. Now, this South Florida team's gotten a lot of play lately, and they had a great recruiting year. They say number one in the American with Tulsa being number two. But they've not been great in the last few years, and Tulsa's been very successful down there. That one interests mm-hmm. me. And then you go mm-hmm. to a UAB team that, you know, and you go to a Temple team that hasn't been very good. No. La Tech has not been very good. North Texas, you know, they last year had the quarterback, and that kid kind of tore Tulsa up a little bit. But I still think, I think overall it sets up, you have at home who you'd like to have at home, including yeah. the UTSAs of the world. And I think your road games are a little – you got Army here. You know, I think the road games are I – I just think it sets up for what I hope is a really good year. Yeah, I think so. You mentioned South Florida. I always think of that 2020 game with uh, mm-hmm. Zayvon Collins doing the pick six and everything. That was kind of when you really burst onto the scene. Well, but then you had one against Tulane. Tulane well. was the big one, yeah, no question. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it. We have ground our way through another week. Hope you have a wonderful time watching some college football and probably me, college basketball tomorrow. In the meantime, grab an eight beer and then tell somebody. Oh, me something tall and strong, make it a Just about hit that around here. I got to be in Oklahoma City at about 1140 this morning, so I got to go. We'll see you Monday right here on the Blitz 1170. Coming up next, Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen, and then 3 to 6, the show with Pop and Colby.